All right, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. LifePoint family, uh, welcome back. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. Uh, guests, grateful that you're here. Uh, this morning. Guests, we always try to give just a few instructions to you as you're here this morning to help you uh, just in your time with us. Uh, my name's Cale. I'm the teaching pastor here. And uh, there are some QR codes on the chairs in front of you. If you're wondering, can I pull out my smartphone in church? The answer is yes. We actually encourage you uh, to do so. Uh, point it at that QR code in front of you. That's going to take you to a resource we've developed for you called lpguest.com. Uh, or you can just type that into a browser. But lpguest.com has the message notes there for this morning. So everything we put on the screens there this morning for the message will be there uh, for you. It's got a ton of helpful info on our church. And it's got a guest information card there as well. If you wouldn't mind taking a moment, filling that out sometime during your time with us today. And when you're done filling that out, you'll notice there are some ministries listed there. Uh, those are partner ministries of ours. I'll talk more about those ministries at the end of our time together today. But those are partner ministries of ours that we support through serving and through financial giving. Uh, just choose one that you're passionate about and our church will donate. We'll donate $5 in your honor. No strings attached. Just our way of saying thanks so much for being with us. Uh, speaking of just giving, uh, I want to thank you, uh, church, and give you an update. So, you know, we've had our giving tree out there in the lobby over the course of the last month and a half. We've encouraged and asked, hey, if you knew someone within our church family. A lot of things we do outside of our church family. This is one of those things we do kind of inside the church family. We said, hey, if there's anyone you know that could use a blessing this year, uh, just to put them on that. And so I just uh, want to let you know, give you an update. So we had uh, 18 individuals and families just from this campus that we were able to give away over $5,000 to as a financial blessing this year. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for uh, blessing those families. I know, I know personally just some, how much that impacted. Uh, I know of at least one who came and gave one of our staff members a hug and said, you just don't know how much this means to us to be loved by the church this way. So thank you uh, for taking the time to think of those families and individuals and to bless them that way. Uh, we've been in a series we've been calling Uncommon Crown. We've been uh, going through, looking at this reality that uh, Jesus came uh, to establish his kingdom in our hearts, that he came to earth to establish his kingdom in our hearts. That's the big idea of the series, something we've said every single week. And we've looked at that by looking at week one, Isaiah chapter nine, the pronouncement, the announcement from Isaiah more than 700 years before Jesus was born that he said, right, in the midst of one of the darkest times nationally for Israel and Judah that he says, hey, unto us a, a child is born, unto us a son is given and the government is going to be upon his shoulders. And we have this prophetic statement of the birth of Christ more than 700 years before he comes. Then last week we looked, uh, Paul was here from our Marian campus, our teaching pastor from our Marian campus, which by the way, he just called me this past week to say, hey man, it was just such a blessing to be back here. Uh, and uh, he was super grateful to be here. So thank you for blessing him in that way. Um, but he, we were looking at Matthew 1. And I was teaching over at our Plain City campus last week, looking at Matthew 1 and this genealogy and looking at the, just the names that are included in the genealogy, the unlikely people that God intentionally includes in his story of redemption. This morning, we're in Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to see, uh, in essence, sort of this clash of kingdoms, right? As the kingdom of God, that's sort of an operating question maybe for the morning, as the kingdom of God invades the kingdom of darkness, as the kingdom of God invades and invades into your life and confronts you with your kingdom versus God's kingdom, what is our response to that? And so here is what we're going to see. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it's in the notes if you're on the app or at lpguest.com or if you have a physical Bible with you, Matthew 2, verse 1. 
after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, which are wise men, sometimes we call them the three little kings. They're not, I don't know where that came from, to be honest. They're not uh, kings. They're more than likely astrologers, right? Which is, is important to recognize. These are pagan astrologers who look to the stars for answers, most likely worship other gods, from, not from Israel. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. It's extraordinary, right? Got pagan astrologers who said, hey, we saw this supernatural star come up. We've come to worship the one born king of the Jews. And when the human king of the Jews hears this, here's his response. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. The word disturbed there, the, sounds like maybe a better translation of that would be greatly agitated, even terrified. He hears this and it's not, it's not good news to him. He's got his human kingdom that he's intent on keeping and he hears them saying, hey, the king of the Jews has been born, the Messiah. So it says, when he heard this, he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law and he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. They're going back to Micah chapter five and it says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, again, written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, I want to summarize what happens after this in the verses afterwards. Herod is lying, by the way. If you're familiar with the story, you know that. The Magi go on to worship Jesus. They present him, right? Sort of the traditional Christmas scene with the gold and in incense and myrrh. These are all royal gifts in acknowledgement of his royalty. They come to worship him. They are then warned in a dream by God, do not go back to Herod. Herod has no intention of trying to find out the truth here or to worship this child, but rather wants the child's life. So they leave. Herod is furious. God, in the meantime, comes to Joseph and in a dream says, Joseph, up, pick up all your belongings, take Mary, take your child, right, this child, and I want you to move, go to Egypt, because Herod is seeking the child's life. And then horribly and tragically, Herod, in his rage, in his terror, in his insecurity, and in his quest to keep his own kingdom and his own power, kills all the boys that are around age two or younger in Bethlehem in an attempt to kill Jesus, the Messiah. So here's the question. What do we do with all of that? Right? Because usually what we do is we just kind of focus in on the Magi and the scene and they're presenting their gifts and it's all wonderful, but you're like, it's not really a wonderful story in some ways. Right? The story, this little section ends with the Magi going home, Joseph fleeing to Egypt with Mary and the baby and Herod doing something terrible. So I want to give you a, I want to give you a little bit of a, a profile of Herod. All right, because of what I want to do, Matthew is going to offer us and really is offering us a contrast of Herod's response to the kingdom of God and the Magi's response. And I'm going to take that a little further and say, let's contrast it also with Joseph and Mary and their response to God's activity in their life. But let's, let's have the background of Herod and understand Herod the Great, 
There were many, many Herods, but Herod the Great ruled from 37 BC to 4 BC. Uh, one commentator said he was not Jewish. Another said he was half Jewish. But the bottom line is he did convert to Judaism. So he's a professing Jew, he professes Judaism, professes to be waiting for this Messiah. And through sort of conniving and appeasing Rome, he's appointed king of Judea by the Roman Senate in 37 BC. And throughout the course of his life, he, he's so insecure, so uh, intent on keeping his power, so suspicious of everybody around him that as his life goes on, he murders his wife, three of his sons, his mother-in-law, his brother-in-law, his uncle, along with many others, including the babies in Bethlehem. But he, he murders all of them because he's suspicious of treachery, that they're going to somehow take his kingdom. And so this need for power and this clinging, right, to governing his own kingdom, trying to execute his own plan, trying to hold on to his prestige and position, drives him to do these terrible things and I think helps us understand the contrast that Matthew is showing here. You've got, I mean, think about what's happening here. You've got pagan astrologers, people who probably previously didn't even recognize the lordship of God, who come from another country, travel for a long time, and show up and say, hey, we're here to worship. They recognize the Messiah. They recognize who he is. They're confronted with God's activity, and they say, man, we got to align our lives with this kingdom. And here, the human king of the Jews is confronted with God's activity, and he says, no. And as is so often the case in Scripture, those who seem like they should get it don't and reject God's purposes for their lives. And those who seem like they're farthest on the outside, that, that guy's never gonna believe. That lady's never gonna believe. They're never gonna give their lives over to Jesus. They show up going, hey, where's the king? Because we're here to worship. I wanna sit and just explore that for a moment, right? Just sit again here on. So here's what's fascinating to me. Herod, as he hears this, doesn't hear the Magi and go, that's ridiculous, right? Go home. <laughs> you guys are crazy. So it's not that he doesn't believe what's happening in some ways. He hears them. They come and they say, Where, where's the king of the Jews? The Messiah, right? We're here to worship him. And Herod's like, okay. And he seems to actually believe them. That's so much so that he calls together the chief priests and everybody and goes, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? I need to know. But there's no sense of, you know what? They find, he finds out it's in Bethlehem. He finds out that as the Magi come, there are prophecies that align with this. But instead of saying, you know what? I need to go to Bethlehem. I need to find out if all of this is true. And I need to make way for the king. If this is really happening, if the Messiah, the one that we've all been waiting for, the faith that he professes, if this is really the time, if he is really the person, then I need to get out of the way, let him take the throne and align my life with his kingdom. His response to the Magi, right? Come back and tell me so that I may worship him. That really should have been the real response. And instead, it's this lie because he has zero interest in finding out the, true, the truth. All he cares about is maintaining his own position of power, keeping hold of his kingdom. He, he can't relinquish the control, can't see past his own ambitions and ultimately because he can't let go of that control, because he can't relinquish control of his life and say, Jesus, you belong on the throne, he ends up opposing God himself. And I wonder as we hear that today, if that speaks to and maybe challenges some of us. And you might hear that and think, what? 
you know, Kale, I haven't murdered half my family, right, out of suspicion, right, that they're going to somehow, right, take me down. I hope that's not the case. And at the same time, I think it would be good for all of us to remember what Jesus said, that if we harbor anger in our hearts, right, toward our family members, toward our friends, if we're harboring bitterness and anger and hatred toward them, he says, well, then you've really murdered them in your hearts. But here's my point. The reason I say does that challenge some of us, I wonder if some of us this morning are on this sort of path that Herod was on, missing out on what God is doing, even opposing God and his activity, blind to the truth because we're so intent on keeping control of our lives, clinging to our own positions, trying to govern our own little kingdoms, that we are missing out on God's kingdom and his activity in our lives. And there's a choice before you today. So there's a choice that Herod is confronted with here, right? For years he spent trying to get into this position of kingship, into this position of power, and then he's confronted with this news. The Messiah has come, the kingdom has come. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna align your life with his kingdom? Are you gonna get out of the way and say, Jesus, it's all yours, it always was yours? Or are you gonna keep trying to rock run down your own path, stiff arm God and say, no, I want control. It's the same choice that you and I have. Maybe we don't have an actual kingdom, but the same choice is before us. If this is where you are today and you're saying, I'm desperately clinging to control in my life. I need to govern things. I want my plan, Lord. And then God confronts you with that. You have a choice to say, man, am I going to get out of the way? Am I going to say, Lord, thy will be done, not my will be done? Or the the other way around. That phrase, right? I've quoted it before. Another pastor said it one time and I heard it and thought, "It's, it's it's never left me. It's always stuck with me. That one of those two phrases will govern your life. One of those two mottos will characterize you and I's lives. Either we will say to the Lord, my will be done. Or we'll say to the Lord, thy will be done. And I want to contrast, Matthew has given us the example of Herod, right? My will be done. He's given us the example of Magi saying, man, we're going to travel across the world to come worship this king. I want us to think about Mary and Joseph for a moment here as well, because I was struck by their responses to everything that's happening here as well. So think about Joseph for a moment. You know, we oftentimes when we think of Joseph, we just see the manger scene or whatever it may be, right? And Think about, he's a young man who's just gotten engaged, right, to his young fiance. I would imagine has some plans for his life, right, and how this is all going to work out. And then one day his fiance's pregnant. And he knows it wasn't, right? And so his plan, humanly speaking, is a normal, he's like, well, then I'm out. And then an angel comes to him and is like, it's okay. (laughs) It's from the Holy Spirit. Everything's going to be fine, right? Just marry her, keep on. And so now thrust into not only being a husband, but also thrust immediately into fatherhood, Joseph's response seems to be, thy will be done. And then just a short while later, God comes to him in a dream and says, I want you to pick up everything and move your life to another country. I want you to go, I mean, you can imagine Joseph going back to God, like, didn't we leave Egypt, (laughs) right, to come here? God, wasn't that the whole point? He's like, I want you to go back to Egypt, and this is before any modern technology. You can't FaceTime your family back, you know, and hey, how's, how are things back at home? Pick up everything, Joseph. Leave it all. Take your family, go to Egypt. I'll tell you when to come back. Can you imagine? And Joseph's response, thy will be done, Lord. Think about Mary for a moment. 
she's celebrated for her faith and rightly so. She's a young girl, probably a teenager. And you think about what plans did she have for her life? Newly engaged, thinking about the future. And then one day an angel shows up to her and says, you're highly favored and you're gonna have a son. And it's not gonna be in the normal way, conceived by the Holy Spirit. God's got this plan for you. You're gonna bring the savior into the world. I mean, her life has changed in an instant. Everything about her life changed in that moment. And I was thinking about, right, what, like if we rewrote that story in 21st century America, like I, I think we'd be tempted to write in there, right, Mary like speaking back, like God, you know, that kind of violates my right to self-determination and I don't know that I like those plans. I'm not ready for this, right? That would be sort of, that's, that's sort of our cultural response to that. Nobody gets to tell me what to do, not even God. Do you know what Mary's response to that is, to that life-altering, life-changing news? Is Luke chapter one, verse 38. She says this, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to, be, to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. That's an incredible response of faith is in this life-altering, life-changing news, this young girl looks back and says, Lord, I'm yours. And let it be, let another way to translate that is let it be to me according to your word. And I just think that should be like a life verse for all of us, right? God, let my life be according to your word. Let my life be aligned with your will. God, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Let it be to me according to your word. Is that not what Jesus taught us to pray? His disciples came to him, right? Teach us to pray. What are we supposed to say to God in prayer, Jesus? And Jesus says, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, let me relinquish control. Let me give it up, Lord. Let me turn to you and let me align my life with your will. I want your will to be done. I don't wanna do things my way. Well, let's be honest, I do sometimes. <laughs> you do sometimes, don't we? don't we? God, I want things my way. I had a plan for how all of this was supposed to go, Lord. I had a vision of how this was gonna go and then the Lord sometimes says, no, I want you to go this way. And look, in that moment, believer, brother, sister, you have a choice to make. Am I gonna lay down my plans and say, God, your will be done? I gotta move to Egypt? Okay. I have to change course, change direction entirely? Okay. I gotta give up my kingdom, my little kingdom, so that your kingdom might reign in my life? Okay. Lord, thy will be done. We're gonna keep it short this morning, right? So uh, think about, just to hone in again, because Joseph and Mary live out that prayer, thy will be done think about what happens in their life. They get to be a part of what God is doing to save his people. They get to watch as the savior of the world grows up in their household, in their home. And I believe, right, they're now with the Lord and they will experience eternal joy with him forever. Because as Jesus comes, right, they say, Lord, thy will be done. And they receive by, by faith the grace of God. Herod, on the other hand, so here's the great irony of this. Herod says, no, my will be done. Even if I have to murder in order to keep hold of control and power, he does it. 
And the irony of it is he dies just shortly after this. So he holds on to the power in the kingdom and ironically then loses it just a short while later, loses the position and the kingdom and the control that he so desperately clung to his whole life. And then he has to face the Lord. Which of those phrases, which of those statements, which of those dispositions is gonna mark your heart and your life? Lord, my will be done or thy will be done. Here in just a moment, we're gonna sing a song. We're gonna sing uh, this song we've been singing for the past few weeks, No Other King. And I love this song because it points us back to this reality. And I would invite us uh, just to think for a moment before we close, I want you to think about the way in which this king came into the world. So sometimes I think we can be confronted with this decision of, is it gonna be my kingdom or is it gonna be Jesus's kingdom? And that can feel like a forceful thing, right? But Jesus didn't come, right? He came to establish his kingdom in our hearts, not for us to establish our own little kingdoms. He came to establish his kingdom in our hearts. But he didn't come the first time and do that by force, okay? He didn't come as a conquering king. He will the second time, right? When you go to Revelation, you look at the way Jesus comes the second time. He comes as a conquering king to judge the world, to punish evil, and to make all things right, to put all things new. But the first time that he comes, he doesn't come and establish his kingdom in our hearts by force. He leaves heaven and he comes in weakness. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas time, is it not? We're celebrating that the king of heaven left heaven, was born as a baby, took on the weakness of sinful flesh, was counted among the sinners, and then he goes to the cross. This king lays down his authority, goes to the cross for you and me, wears the crown of thorns for you and me, bears the nails for you and me, and then makes payment not for his sin, but for ours. And I want you, I want you to ask the question, what other king does that for you and for me? As you think about which kingdom you're gonna live for, my kingdom or his kingdom, I want you to ask the question, what other king would love me like that? Why would I not give my life and live for his kingdom? The lyrics to this song, I love it. No other king would stand the mockery, be led to slaughter and refuse to speak. Take up a cross and choose to die with thieves. Take up a cross and give his life for me. No other king. I told our Plain City campus last week, I've been reading a book on the Middle Ages, this book that goes from the fall of the Western Roman Empire all the way up to the Reformation. And one of the things I'm reminded of, I was a history major, and uh, I'm just being reminded of this reading this book, the pages of history are just littered with terrible kings. The pages of scripture are filled with terrible kings. Kings who fought their way into the kingship, connived their way into the kingship, and once they got hold of it, they were awful. <laughs> they were forceful, they were mean, they were evil, they took advantage of others, and they said, you serve me. And we serve a king who comes into the kingship, and it says Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. No other king comes this way. No other king, even though he has the right to all authority and all power, he gave it up. 
He came as a baby and then gives his life for you and for me. He's a good king. He's a good shepherd. He's a good God. So as you think and you contemplate this morning, man, how am I gonna live my life for my kingdom or for his? I am not above begging and pleading. I'm pleading with you, live it for his kingdom because he gave his life for you. And he says, man, give your life back to him. Align your life with his will and live for his kingdom because he's a really, really good king. And for some of us, you would say, Cale, I've done that. I've given my life to Jesus. I believe in him as the savior. I've received the forgiveness of my sins. Praise God. I'm being reminded of this in my season of life and I'm just, I'll share with you, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more areas of your life that he will expose lovingly and graciously, but he will expose these areas of our lives where we're still trying to cling to control. Some areas that you think, I thought I dealt with that already, the Lord, and, and as the years have gone by, maybe you've started to reassert kingship, reassert control over that area of your life and the Lord's saying, no, 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 give it to me. And I just plead with you, brother or sister, give it to him because it's in better hands when it's his, in his hands anyway than when we try to assert control over it. And then for some of us, some of us, you're here today and maybe somebody has invited you and you didn't even want to come but you thought you'd show up so they'd stop asking. Maybe some of us, it's just God's activity in your life. Maybe you've not been in church for years. We hear it a lot, right? People say, man, I used to, grew up in church, bad experience, de-churched, unchurched, wherever you are this morning, maybe you've never taken the step to fully surrender your life and to take that initial step to just relinquish control and say, man, it's not gonna be about my kingdom. It's gonna be about his. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. This morning, I'm asking you and I'm inviting you to take that step and to trust him with your life, to turn away from your sin, to place your faith in Jesus who came, who lived, and who died for you and then rose again that you might have new life. That's the gospel. It's not overly complicated. It's the simple gospel to say, God so loved you that he sent his only son for your sin. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas time, that he was born into our world, into our mess, and he took on our suffering and then died on the cross and rose again that we might have new life. And I'm inviting you, if you've never taken that step, here in a moment, I'm gonna pray. And I'd invite you to pray with me. Jesus, today, I wanna turn from my sin and I wanna trust you with my life. And from this day forward, I don't want it to be my will be done, but thy will be done. Let's pray together. Father, we see these examples all throughout scripture. In fact, your word tells us that these stories were given to us as examples to us, as warnings to us. God, we see a man, a king here like Herod, who is confronted with your kingdom and the Messiah coming and his choice is to, at all costs, try to hold on to control. God, may that not be the case for any of us here today. Father, let us be like the Magi who see the star coming up in the east and say, we've got to follow and go worship. God, let us be like Joseph and Mary who, when you come into their lives and alter all the plans, they say, okay, thy will be done. Father, will you help us to trust you and to be obedient with the really small things and in the really big things? 
And Father, I pray it for myself and I pray it over your people. God, let us trust you in the good days and in the bad days and in the good moments and in the tough moments. And God, let us trust you with every single area of our lives, our time, our talents, our treasures, God, our plans. Let us lay them before you and say, Jesus, many are the plans of a man's heart, but you establish his way. God, will you establish our way personally and as a church as we seek to reach this community with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus? Will you help us? I wanna give you just a moment to pray. We've covered a lot in this series and I wanna give you just a moment to pray and respond to the Lord and speak to him. Whatever uh, he's speaking in your heart, just talk with him this morning. we continue to pray. I just want to encourage some of you, right? Some of us, this is the only quiet time we've had this week. And you're running and you're running fast. Maybe the Lord's word to you this morning is you, get, you got to slow down. Take a moment now. Slow down. And just speak to your heavenly father and let him speak to you. As you continue to pray, I want to speak to those who are here this morning and you're in that last category of folks I talked to. And as we continue to pray, I want to give you an opportunity right now. If you came here today and previous to this point, to this point, you have not given your life over to the Lord, not surrendered to him. And I don't mean, well, I grew up in a Christian home. So did I. I don't know that I surrendered my life till I was in college, I was 20, and said, God, wherever, whenever, whatever, I'm yours. Tell me where to go and what to do. If that's you today, I wanna give you an opportunity to pray right now and just come to that place of full surrender. You pray with me, you can pray it in your own words. Jesus, today, I give my life to you. I turn from my sin. I'm trusting you with my life and I believe that you are the savior 
who lived and who died for my sin and who rose again that I might have new life. And today, this morning, I surrender to you and I ask that the motto of my life would not be my will be done, but thy will be done. And God, wherever, whatever, whenever, I'm yours. I want my life to be holy and fully in your hands. And I proclaim that and I pray it today. In Jesus' name, amen.